Welcome everybody to the Evolution Exchange NHS podcast. At Evolution, we are committed to helping people and NHS organisations realise their potential. Our goal is to develop deep relationships with individuals, building trust to make doing business easier. We collaborate with NHS organisations to help them build high-performing digital teams. We achieve this by curating and sharing insights into the ever-evolving NHS and digital industries best practice, such as this podcast that we are running this morning. Um, My name is Emma and today I am your host. Um, Today on the panel, we have three NHS leaders from York to the Northeast region. We have Joanna, Laura and um, Bethany. Before we move on to the podcast, I'd just like to add that the views expressed by guests are their own and do not necessarily reflect the official position or policy of their organisation. Um, so before we kind of delve kind of deeper into the topic of digital transformation, we'll kind of work our way around the room with some intros. Um, so if, I'd just like to know who you are, your role, your background and what your biggest passion is currently. Um, so Bethany, you're top of my screen. So do you want to go first? Yeah, of course. Uh, morning, everyone. It's great to meet you all. Um, so I'm Beth. Um, I'm one of the project managers at Newcastle Hospitals. Um, I've actually only been with the NHS for um, about 10, 11 months. So I started Halloween (laughs) of last year. Um, So I've been kind of working on a lot of the transformational projects, which is why this is a topic close to my heart. So a lot of um, projects around kind of how we can better utilize Microsoft, um, Office 365, SharePoint, those kind of applications. Um, and also kind of how we collaborate with each other, like um, working on an intranet project as well. Um, prior to joining the NHS, most of my experience is in the private sector. Um, so I've worked for some uh, digital agencies um, around e-commerce and also software development as well. So I do have that sort of background in in developing websites. Uh, so yeah, it's a, it's a whole new world, but I'm enjoying it. So it's it's been good so far. Perfect. Thank you very much. Um, Joanna, do you want to go around to you next? Yeah, that's great. Thank you. Um, hi, so I'm Joanna Gad. I'm a senior project manager for the PMO for the Health Informatics Service. Uh, we're hosted by Calderdale and Huddersfield Foundation Trust um, as our main customer. And then we have a number of other customers that we um, look after in the region and beyond. Um, so I've been in the trust for about three years. Um, so yeah, came in COVID times. So it was all quite quite strange coming into a trust with all that going on. Um, and I think it's just I just really enjoy sort of seeing there from start to end a project and how things sort of change and really improve for a for a departmental service. I've worked a lot on the Scan for Safety program, um, and particularly during COVID, that was just just amazing just to see all the new technology we could give people that would help them in their in their roles. Um, so that's where my my passions are and why I'm motivated to kind of do the role that I do. Thank you very much, Joanna. And last but not least, Laura. Hello, everybody. Uh, I'm Laura Mumby and I'm Deputy Director for Digital and Technology at the Rotherham NHS Foundation Trust. I have been in the NHS for 20 years um, and I've been in the digital arena for about the last 10 years. Um, I love every day and every minute. It's so varied uh, and different. Um, you can't say you get bored in this in this role. Um, more recently, though, I've just started up my new position, digital and technology. So that's brand new to me on the technology side. So I'm learning all about Microsoft licensing and contracting, uh, servers and infrastructure. So it's been so exciting the last few months. Um, and before last that, just last year, I did a secondment over at Mid Yorks, so near to you, Joanna. Um, and I got uh, experience in a different organisation, which was much larger than Rotherham. So that was really, really good times for me as well. 
my passion, uh, which is my background, uh, is clinical systems and EPRs. Um, so I will always love, um, like you guys do, um, delivering new products or delivering new functionality that changes um, processes or um, experience out there for the end user. I think it's amazing um, what you can achieve by just introducing something new or it can change the patient pathway. Um, it's definitely the reason why I do it. Perfect. Well, thank you very much, everybody. Um, so kind of now that we've established the context of everybody's role, we'll just kind of move straight into the questions. Um, so we're going to go with your question first, Laura. So what I'm going to do is I'm kind of going to ask the question. Um, she's still there? She's gone? <laughs> she's still there. Um, no, it's okay. Um, I'll kind of pose the question back to you. If you want to give like a bit of a context, kind of overview, um, and then we'll kind of go around onto the discussion. So um, first question, what do you think is more important in digital transformation? Great project management or great process redesign? Yeah, thank you. Yeah, so I've been um, throughout my 10 years in digital and my background is process redesign. So obviously I was very much in the camp Process redesign is the key thing when you're de delivering any transformation. You've got to follow and get the people engaged. You need to know your processes. Um, and that has been the main key. And then more recently, probably over the last five years, um, I've worked closely as well with our project management and the PMO. Um, and I've seen actually that they do benefit too because ultimately it's the PMO office that gets it delivered. Um, because you've got to have your time frames, you've got to have your costings, you've got to have that um, methodology behind you, doing the reporting, the boards are influential. Um, so so I kind of changed my opinion a little bit and I was like, oh, so it's working together and we've got to have both to be more powerful. Um, but I just, I always like to ask that question when I'm working with people, is it is it project or is it process redesign that makes it most successful? Thank you, Laura. Um, Beth, we'll come round to you first on this one. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think obviously that they are very, both very important things. I think you know, if if I was forced to pick one, um, it's probably going to be project management over process. But I'm a bit biased because I'm a project manager, so of course. Um, but I think I think it depends where you are in the project I think if you're taking the project as a whole obviously the project manager is the person that keeps the cogs turning that keeps everything moving that kind of keeps a bit of semblance of order around everything so I think you know process processes are there because they need to be followed and they set precedent and they put a, a lot of that stuff in place but I think we could be putting processes in place all day if we were trying to deal with different challenges that happen every day you know I think you have to be very reactive as well as proactive as a project manager and processes don't necessarily allow for a lot of flexibility all the time and a lot of adaptability so I think that's kind of where they complement each other you know processes are there so that people understand what's required of them understand what what they need to do and then project managers are there so that we can have a little bit of wiggle room around those as well and um, to make sure that things get done um I do think where process design is really important, though, is on kind of the future of the project 
and also the closure activities. I think that's where um, it's really important for project managers to lean on processes. I think obviously a project manager is going to move on from a project. They're not going to be there forever. Um, I know it can feel that way sometimes with projects, but um, obviously when we move on, we need to make sure that, you know, it's not just the project manager's gone, like do what you want kind of thing. So the processes are there so that the future of that implementation, that project, whether it's an EPR or um, an upgrade or something like that, are going to be continue to be followed. Perfect. Thank you very much. Joanna, we'll come around to you next. And what would you like to add? Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I do agree with, with Beth, obviously, I'm from that project management world. And I, I would say they go hand in hand um, and that you just you need that project governance. And we, we focus a lot on that. Um, so keeping organised, keeping to plan, um, that post-implementation support, all of that side of things. We do a lot of work sort of um, doing as-is and 2B processes, um, so documenting all of that, um, which then keeps it obviously then standardised um, and then you've got making sure that staff are, staff are working working the same way and as people come and go, you've got that as a as your template. So, yeah, I'd say they, they, they go together, really. Um, I don't know if you can have one without the other um, that would then complement each other and give you a successful outcome. Thanks, Joanna. Laura, we'll come back round to you. Is there anything kind of like you want to add? Any other questions that you want to kind of follow up with? No, I think I think I think we've summed it up, isn't it? It's, it is together. We've got to have both. Um, I, I, I like uh, Bethany saying, "If I had to choose one, <laughs> and, and, uh, and yeah, if I had to choose one, maybe I would go first a few times." But that's that is our background, yeah. isn't it? And that's what we're feeling exactly. So definitely. Yeah, I don't think we can call that one is more important. And I think, I like I said, I've seen both work hand in hand and, and, and both do really well. And I've seen projects run uh, with just project management without that business side. And I've seen just the business side without the project. And, and they both have challenges. So, yeah, definitely a mixture of both makes a successful digital transformation. Perfect. I mean, I've kind of got another question based on kind of what you said. Obviously, I don't know the NHS. I don't know how projects work. Is there not like a standardised approach to kind of how you would manage a project or does it not quite work like that? Throw it out into the room, anyone want to? <laughs> so, so I think majority follow Prince 2 uh, methodology. Uh, yeah. That's the one I'm familiar. I think that's an NHS. I know it's not an NHS principle. or It's very much everyone would use that, but it seems to be popular. Um, there's other ones out there that other people might follow. So, yeah, completely. We're all trained and we do follow one one specific um, method. Of, but maybe, we, maybe we're in the NHS, we do have our own ways. We like a task and finish group, don't we? <laughs> yeah, I think it's the same for us. I think, you know, we that's where our sort of project project management team as a whole lean on the PMO team because they provide us with their sort of framework that they have documented and whether depending on what kind of level of governance you need on a project we we follow that framework and that really helps bring a bit of structure and order to a project. Perfect okay Fab. all right well if everyone's happy we'll move on to kind of the second question which is kind of um, grouped together with with two um, so we're going to start off with Beth your question so it was how can we collaborate effectively with suppliers how do we minimize risk so do you want to give us a bit of a kind of context overview on that one yeah absolutely so I think as the NHS as a whole and a lot of the the trust within that um, sort of continued to, to face a lot of demand on services I think we become increasingly more reliant on third-party providers to help us deliver and improve those services. I think 
we're finding that suppliers haven't have kind of cottoned on to that reliance a little bit um so we can sometimes lose some of our influence when we're managing those contracts or negotiating those contracts um so i think there's you know red flags out there where there's suppliers behave in a certain way that might risk delivery or you might get radio silence or something like that or changes in the communication so i think we because we have to move at pace in the organization we don't always thoroughly vet third parties or we don't take the time to kind of fully understand each other from that point of view so i guess my question is how how can we collaborate more effectively with our suppliers so that we bring back a little bit of our consumer power um to the nhs thank you very much and then i suppose the kind of other question that kind of goes hand in hand with that was was laura was your question um around the convergence agenda is it affecting your world and in what way so do you want to kind of give us a bit of a overview of that from your side yeah definitely so obviously um yeah collaboration or convergence uh similar similar theme but especially with suppliers and our contracts and our systems anything out there that we can um like bethany said come together um to help manage them or can we do things differently i mean on if 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 you can imagine all the organizations are doing the same and we're all invested we've all got our own contracts we're all doing contract management we're all doing procurement we're all delivering and if there's any way that we can work differently and more effectively um it's got to be for the better thank you laura um so joanna will come around so you appreciate there's kind of two questions thrown at you there but answer it in any way that you kind of feel fit yeah, um, well, I'll pick up um, Beth's question to start with. So, um, yes, for us, it's about those relationships between the project and also procurement. Um, and we ensure that procurement's part of our project board and just, just from those early discussions, just making sure that they're involved. And we make sure we keep the conversations that the project has with the supplier separate to what procurement would have. So we don't have, I wouldn't have contract conversations or anything to do with that. That's all done to procurement. Um, through procurement, I should say. So I think that's how we try and how try and sort of manage that relationship. Um, and I just think, given making sure it's always a two-way communication, that we give them lots of points for feedback, making sure that they're involved in our projects and our meetings, um, that they're sort of coming along and um, giving them giving us sort of strong statements of work that we can sort of work towards um, against our specification that we've put together. So it's um, what so they know what they're delivering, we know what to expect and we can work. So it's more working together. So it's not um, sort of to, to sort of um, a relationship that's us checking up on them. It's them working with us and what, what sort of, particularly in the health informatics, obviously we do a lot of the IT side. So it's what colleagues and resource we need to pull in um, from our side. So yeah, so it's um, having those honest conversations, having them involved and I think just being really honest and just keep it them feeling that they can be honest about when timescales are slipping, when costs are going up. Um, we've seen that on some of our projects that we've written the business cases a couple of years ago now and they're only just coming to fruition when now costs of materials and things have gone up. So it's it's just having those honest conversations so we just don't get caught out by anything. Um, so identifying those risks of the, on our on our raid log that we'd capture um, and working together how we can mitigate those um as, as we go forward um so that was my first one shall i go on to the second yeah. one about yeah convergence? so um yeah so probably an example of this so um across wyatt so the west yorkshire association of acute trusts um for the last three years they've been looking to implement a 
um, inventory management system. And so, so what you're saying, so what a sort of system that everyone can work towards. Um, and I think it's just it's just it's been proving very difficult, and the sort of timescales has gone on a lot longer just because everyone has so many different. Even though it's just sort of five trusts, it's everyone has so many different ways of working. We've all bought different systems over the years that you're then trying to sort of into into sort of into integrate into one system. Um, over time, we've all slightly tailored it and tweaked tweaked it to suit our needs. Um, and then you're trying to put it all into one system so we can all work the same way. And it's it is it is very difficult. So even though at the end of what they're trying to achieve, everyone's trying to achieve the same thing in managing stock and costs and all the the main things. Actually, we all have such different ways of working and so many different systems integrated and interweaved um, that it is it's it's really difficult. So whether it's at this in the short term, the technology is just not quite there, and this is more of a in 10, 15 years time. Actually, technology will have evolved to a point where it's it makes it not simpler. That wouldn't be wouldn't be me. I don't know how to do all these things, but um. Yeah, so it's, that's just one example of, of something that we've been looking at. Um, and also, we so we uh, managed the EPR s- uh, system for Calder and Huddersfield, but also for Bradford. Um, and then recently, we're bringing on Airedale. So that's another example of um, in- integrating our systems together and collaborative working. So, yeah, we've got lots of examples at CHFT of how we're doing that in different ways with different different um, stakeholders and suppliers across across the region thank you joanna some some really good examples there so i appreciate you sharing them with the with the group um beth will come around to kind of you next on on this do you want to add anything yeah absolutely i think um i completely agree with joanna in terms of that whole managing suppliers piece you know i think honesty and feedback is probably where where we see kind of our strongest assets for trying to deal with that um and and just keeping that communication flowing um, I think on on the co- sort of convergence side, I think one of the one of the best examples I've certainly seen of convergence and collaboration is with the NHS shared tenant um, provided by provided by NHS England. So I think you know it's it's a really good example of all trust coming together um, with that one goal to utilise the Microsoft suite. I think you know we. We have this sort of Swiss Army knife um, of functionality, and and some trusts are using one bit of it, some tr- trusts are using other bits of it, and I think where the beauty of that is is the is the communication between the trusts. Um, you know, as we start to try and develop our our SharePoint infrastructure here at Newcastle, we've been talking to other other trusts. We were talking, um, in particular, to NHS Ardham and Gem, who I know do support with a lot of that stuff as well, um, and they they were brilliant in kind of offering their advice and their ideas on how um, their in-house office team or Microsoft team had helped um, really push that forward in their organization. Um, So I think that's where we're seeing real benefits from that. I think the very start of convergence and collaboration is talking, is communication, is opening those, those lines of communication with different trusts. And I think that's one of the main real benefits that I've seen from that we can you know if there's if we see a new app in teams or if we see something that's been released in in one of the local administrator bulletins by the NHS England we can look on there we can do our own research but then we can reach out to other organizations and see you know are we we've heard you're using this how do you use this within your organization and how's that benefited you and then you know we can collaborate on that if there's something in there um that we really like 
you know, that's potentially, again, something that we can use for further collaboration. Thank you, um, Beth. Well, Laura, we'll come back round to, to you. Yeah. Yeah, some really, really good points raised. I think, like we say, it's it's the right thing to do and everyone's behind it and we can see some real benefits, as Joanna explained, but there's also then some tricky bits that we really need to get smarter at and we really need to work together. Communication, as Bethany said, but as well, having that equal partnership, we're all um, equal in this. So if we're going to work together, we've got to work together and we've got to like respect each other and do it. But when we do, it works really well. We've got loads of examples as well in our ICB where we've got um, pathology all joining together. I know that's already been done up in the north, hasn't it, Bethany? But yeah. we're thinking the same same system, same teams, um, and then it just helps um, open the world up to so much other different things. Um, more recently, we've done um, with one of our local trusts the same endoscopy system. Um, and it was just working together and coming together and saying, well, we want a new system and so do we. And we're going to do a joint patient pathway. Oh, that's great. Well, what else can we do together? And and helping each other along that journey. That support was, was just different um, instead of feeling like you're in isolation. And it's, well, I've got to implement this when you know such and such down the road is implementing something different. And you're like, well, we'll, we'll do it together and we'll, we'll do it the same. So when it when it when it works, it, I think it works really really well. Um, another example um, with our um, cancer system as well in the in the whole region, we've done a joint contract. Very difficult, very complex, but um, once you start working through it, um, going back to what Bethany said, how do we work more effectively against well towards and with the suppliers? is if you're all in the same and you're all in the same contract, you've got more weight to make them changes that you need. But as Joanna said, you've all got to be on the same page of these are the changes they need and they're, they're, they're equal to us all so we can all benefit from some getting something out of it. So it's a different way of working, but certainly the right way. Thank you, Laura. Um, I suppose a couple of things that you all, I suppose, touched upon then, obviously, were what at least, you know, we're over 12 months on from kind of like the ICBs when they kind of started. Do you think that's kind of helped kind of you guys be able to work more collaboratively or is is that kind of, do you think, one of the key factors that has helped this collaboration? So I want to answer that one. Yeah. <laughs> I, I do. Um, yeah. Uh, for, for some aspects, um, if it's not the ICB, it's been networks. Um, so it could be the, the acute trusts working together, um, the pathology teams working together. Um, so all different networks, but obviously the ICB is is, is, is a main, and, and with their restructuring, how it's working, we're definitely seeing um, that networking and bringing us together and, and yeah, making them decisions together to do things um, or to procure things or to contract differently. So yes, definitely. The way that um, we are governed and, and organised now in the NHS is playing a part. Perfect. Um, Beth, is, Beth, Joanna, anything that you kind of want to add on on that? I think that pretty much sums it up, to be honest. Yeah, <laughs> I think I think obviously it has. It's definitely increased our our kind of future proofing for collaboration. Absolutely, the new structure. Perfect. Okay. All right. Well, we'll move on to kind of the well third, fourth question. Um, so, Joanna, this one was your question. Um, so what strategies and challenges are involved in ensuring um, effective benefits realisation for healthcare initiatives within the NHS? So do you want to give us a kind of a bit of a 
bit of a background on that one um yeah so um so in terms of um strategies that we have um that we use in our team so it's it's really about having those benefits identified in the early stages at the mandate stage of of any kind of project um and when you're identifying your stakeholders sort of going around them and seeing seeing what the benefits are going to be for them because obviously different stakeholders will be coming at from different angles um and then as you moved inside the business case, it's then breaking them down and seeing how they um, are going to be sort of smart benefits that you can measure. So smart as in um, specific, measurable, achievable, realistic and timely. Um, and how we can start to put those into some sort of table that shows how you're going to how you're going to measure them and what the baselines are. Um, and it's really about getting that SRO ownership. So you're senior, senior responsible um, owner. Um, that they're going to take responsibility because it's not on the project manager or anyone in the team. It's that is that SRO um, that are going to see the long term benefits. So it's giving that responsibility for them. Um, and then what we do is um, throughout the project is obviously make sure there's lots of regular touch points so that um, we could keep talking about the uh, the benefits, um, keep reviewing them, gathering the evidence, um, getting those baselines. It can be tricky at sometimes um, because some of the information and data is just either not there or just not captured in certain ways. So it's it's seeing if we can just do something for a couple of months to just try and, try and capture that data to get some baseline information. Um, and then making sure there's sort of regular project board agenda item just to keep reviewing the benefits, particularly projects that go over for a couple of years, things will change and there might be new benefits or there might be benefits that just aren't as um, applicable. Um, and then we also have so any capital funding projects, um, they go through our, we have a, a business case group um, led by the CHFT finance and we report regularly back to them to, so we're show where the, the benefits are so show where cost and time are being saved um and i think that's a good thing because that makes us really accountable um for what the project said it was going to do uh, long term so it's not just uh we've just done this tick box we filled in a bit of information then it gets forgotten about it makes us as a, as a project and the sro accountable to, to report back to that group um so that's a really positive um and I th just think the challenges then that we face um, is just getting stakeholders involved, um, them understanding what we mean by a benefit. I've had a lot say, well, it's patient safety. And then you're going, well, yeah, but how how is it? And they're going, yeah, but it's patient safety. And it's, yes, we can all see on the face of it, it's going to make things safer for patients. But how can we measure that and show that on a, on a table on a um, that I can then present present to a board or present to a group of people so um so that's that can be quite tricky and just people's understanding of what we mean by smart benefit um so um, i almost have to use i think it's the language sometimes it's like well let's let's call that an advantage can't measure it so we'll have we'll keep that somewhere but we won't have it on the benefits tracker and um it's working with different stakeholders and it can be difficult to it's the availability of clinical staff and has been able to go on to clinical wards sort of monitor or time them to get into them to do things so it's um so the, the timing and availability and obviously some of the areas it's not as easy to to get in as others um so it's finding someone that that's in that area that can do it for us um so those those are all the kind of challenges that we face um and then it's just the the tracking of it over time and um keeping it keeping it high on the agenda and under people's interest in it um, which is part of, part of the PM's role, um, and then like like I was saying, how how do you evidence 
uh, sort of intangible benefits of patient safety. So it's how can we break it down? So is there is there time and cost and those types of things, or is it just that it's going to release time to care back onto back into wards and uh, with patients? Um, so some of them are not always always easy to prove. Um, so it's yeah, so so it can be quite a challenge. Um, but I think we've got got some good strategies that we try and use to to keep it keep it relevant um, and just just to keep that momentum and just and then over time so you can really see it against when when the project gets delivered what's actually how it's how it's really benefited either people on the ground patients or the trust as a whole. Thank you, Joanna. Uh, Beth, we'll come around to you next on this one. Yeah, I mean, I think I think Joanna summarised a lot of the the challenges and the and the strategies really nicely there. I think we we see all of the same things. I think we within Newcastle we do find it a real challenge benefits realisation, and I think benefits realisation is probably one of the hardest skills to perfect in a project manager's toolkit. Um, I think for picking up on what Joanna said I think intangible benefits is one of the biggest challenges um certainly that I faced and I think a lot of the rest of my team face um as an example as we are moving towards building our SharePoint infrastructure and moving a lot of our documentation into into a cloud-based infrastructure you know there's there's benefits that we know are going to happen there's things like increased collaboration or teamwork or things like that but increased collaboration as a benefit you know how how do you measure that like it's it's one of those intangible benefits that you have to really look at and break down and think right so how are are we going to increase collaboration how can we baseline that um so i think that's where it's a real challenge and i think as well another challenge is that kind of culture of benefits realization as well i think sometimes you know definitely not everyone but i do think sometimes there can be a culture of you know we need to get this we need to measure this benefit because it's going to give us the funding like that's the purpose of the benefits rather than them benefiting you know the the patients or or the staff or whoever um i think as well you know that kind of realization that once the project closes the the benefit closes i think it's that culture as well that that's an ongoing benefit and we need to keep measuring it and we need to um be adaptive and kind of think about the next phases of those so i think for for us it's very similar to what joanna said in terms of ingraining it in every stage of the project like benefits realization be at the heart of your initiation of project run all the way through development and then of course in the closure activities as well and then again, Joanna touched on the ownership side of things. I think that's another really important thing for us. Um, I think we're we're starting to look at kind of specific roles where we can get a bit better at benefits realization. I think you know benefits realization managers and things like that, where we can really enhance our knowledge and and build some of those strategies. I think as a as a PM team, we we really appreciate coaching in that area as well and I think continuous development in benefits realization is something that's really important for us you know there's always new techniques and just even just on this podcast hearing other people's ways that they they kind of strategize it we can take some of those and start implementing the training for our project managers as well so I think that's that's really important. Thank you Beth. Um, Laura will come around to you next. Yeah, um, and just to plug NHS England, um, but not by design, uh, they do offer some good training as well. And I think that's the one that I had where I thought, oh, I, I kind of get this now. Um, but I think you're right. It's absolutely, it's just, it's really hard 
um i don't know a culture is the word i think bethany used and it's it's just i throw rather them under the bus but we don't do it very well either um and it's really confusing because being an nhs organization we're used to audits we're used to qi quality improvement projects this is our thing but when it comes to implementing a new project we just can't do benefits um our really strong point though is uh, the business case side so we're very good um, when we're doing developing business cases we identify the benefits we do get the baseline measures um and we're good because that's very important when you're doing that argument of whether we invest or not into this transformation so i feel that's our strong point and then it's every step then after that where we we just we just lose it and because it feels like it's a health informatics um responsibility as well and it, and it, it shouldn't be like you said getting the owners is really key but when we say to people out in the organization you're going to be an earner of a benefit um, and what that entails it's just not always in their priority um to do that and, and like say we'll then close and we'll move on but it's the benefit that continues to get realized after the, the project's closed so they really and they really should be um, using that and demonstrating that. Um, if if anything, when we do benefits, it's us presenting back to the organisation. This is what we've done, and this is the benefit. Um, getting the benefits right is really difficult as well. Um, like you said, you know what you want to say is a benefit, and you know it's their patient experience. You've mentioned when we did EPMA. We knew the only benefit was patient experience. It was going to cost us so much money. But the benefit was the patients and the drug errors and 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 getting the data was so hard. Um, but that's because we was moving from paper to electronic. So it was um, easier once we'd done the move to collect the data. But doing that baseline was so difficult. So it it does need um, a lot of investment, but it is well worth it. Um, it's important to do. Um, but I'm not, yeah, it's just, it, I think we're all saying the same. It's really, really difficult. Thanks, Laura. Has anyone else got anything that they kind of want to add to, add to, to this fat question before we move on? I was just going to say, so other things that we, so where we do struggle to get sort of actual data, we do things like, um, questionnaires. So like before and after, like for the staff, um, just to get sort of, so before, before the implementation and then sort of three, six months after just to see the difference or even just process maps just to show, well, this is this is how it is now. Um, and you might see lots of stages and where there's errors or open to errors or human error. And then with the new system where you're going to have a, a robot or a, a bit of kit that's going to take this away from you. So not only is it taking away a bit of time, but it's reducing sort of open for errors and that type of thing so we try and we try to be more creative in how we can um do that do the measurements of things um not just looking for raw data um but it, yeah it can can be tricky it's get, get creative head on and how we can how we can prove things perfect thank you joanna um okay on to the final question then um so laura this is coming back round to you um so it was in regards to kind of it training and um, what is preferred um you put the mixed method classroom and e-learning or just going full e-learning as some organizations are doing so do you want to give us a bit of an overview from your side on that one yeah and i think um i didn't want to mention covid or that time but this is this has stemmed from then um because i think where from Rotherham we were very much we did uh, classroom based training 
So for our EPR or any clinical system, we'd have junior rotation, we'd bring them into the classroom and we'd do that teaching. Um, we always had a bit of e-learning uh, where we'd do for locums or agency or just um, if it was too small, um, a cohort and they didn't need it regular, we'd have the e-learning platform and our trainers um, would uh, facilitate facilitate making sure that was up to date um, we did at the elbow because we could and that was our preferred method and it's part of all the class methodology and they say how important so we'd be on the wards and we'd be very much part of people's lives um, and then yeah the world changed and uh, we all had to adapt and change so I, I know from some of um, our networking from um, organisations uh, near about that um, they have um, had to make some changes um, and they either just deliver e-learning and there's no classroom because they got benefits from not having needing the space. It was either they might be the organisation, could be community and it's very difficult then to get people um, into one location um, or they could be cost savings um, or it just worked better for the staff being um, hybrid or remote. So they've moved to more um, e-learning solutions and less classroom, if any classroom at all, um, which I think is a brave decision to, to make. Um, at the elbow might have increased now they're back in because I think people realise the benefits and certainly here we know how important that is. But um, yeah, um, doing that is, is, is a different method. But I've also noticed as well, which uh, surprised me, that some of the suppliers... So um, I'm not name naming, but one of um, one of our main clinical systems. Um, before they would come in and and we'd do um, a full week course on how to configure um, the system or how to uh, train on the system. And now it's here's your e-learning package. And it's like oh that works fine okay, but um, there there is benefits to it. So yeah, it's just um, your experiences really and. Um, if you know what's going off in, in your organisations, has, has it affected your world or um, are you still doing mixed method? Thanks, Laura. Um, Joanna, we'll come around to you first on this one. Um, yeah, I'd say it's um, I'd say it depends on what, what it is and what the system or process that is that, that we're doing um, and, also, and perhaps the volume of staff it's going to affect as well. Um, so, yeah, I'd say it's a, a complete range of different things um, from sort of face, face to face at the elbow, like you say, um, which does seem a more supportive um, and you do, you can kind of get that feedback straight away and you can watch someone doing it. Um, and then there's, and that could be followed up with e-learning um, materials as well. So we have, have produced those for, for other um, projects. Um, and then we try to get sort of champions within areas um, that they can, they can take the lead um and also the the train the trainer um methodology so particularly suppliers that will come in and just train sort of a handful of staff and then it's for them to train the rest of the the cohort which can work well actually because then they can do it in and amongst their shifts and it's not particularly in a clinical area when you, you've got nursing staff in like emergency department or something like that you can't say well at 10 o'clock they'll be available to to come to a, a session um, so and they can do sort of sessions on night shifts and weekends when obviously trainers wouldn't normally be available so we do try and do that where we can as well um, and that works really well so because um, we need to we say that we need to have about 70% of the staff trained before we go live with the system 
Um, so making sure you get those numbers up and in, in some big areas where you've got over 100 members of staff, um, the time that it can take to do that, if they've all got to be face-to-face or sign off, sign off that they've done some training can be difficult. Um, so I say it's a real real mixture um, and we do have mixtures of suppliers coming in and, and doing training or just wanting to train someone in our IT department um, that does sort of train to the training team and then they roll it out. So it, it really depends on the type of system, the type of um, supplier that we're working with. So it's a real, real mixture, I'd say, at, at CHFT and within Health Informatics. Thanks, Joanna. Um, Beth, we'll come around to you next. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, co- I completely agree. I think for us at Newcastle, it's definitely a blend of different things. I think a, a couple of the keywords Joanna was um, mentioning there in terms of digital champions, and uh, that's definitely something we're, we're investing a lot of time in, obviously, especially as we start to try and utilise as many areas of office and teams as possible. You know, teams has really opened the door for us to to build champions network networks and kind of get that collaboration from everyone to take control of their training as well. Um, train the trainer, again, is something that we really, really heavily rely on when it comes to implementing projects, um, especially when it's quite complex subject matter as well. And I think that's that's where our our decision on what kind of training to use lies a lot of the time it is how complex the subject matter is and how and how um much of the learnings need to be taken on board so i think for if um if i use an example with the the chemotherapy project that i'm currently working on uh we've done a blend of training and i think we we got that from the the, the users that in the clinician clinicians direct um, so we kind of asked them what, what they felt they preferred uh, before we put that training strategy together and while most people did prefer online training there was a, a few kind of hematologists and and people that that really felt that hands-on training was going to be more beneficial for them so we ended up sort of training a small group hands-on and then the rest of the people we trained uh, virtually so I think it does kind of depend on on how people learn as well. Obviously, we know that people do learn in different ways and some people need to see it to, uh, physically to learn it a lot of the time. So I think that that open communication with the end users of whatever the project is, is really key when it comes to training and figuring out what type of training you're delivering. Um, and I think it's the challenges of space utilization as well. I think obviously if you, like Joanna was saying, if you do have a, a very large portion of people to train, you know, where are you going to put them if you're going to do hands-on training? Um, we're really lucky at Newcastle because we've had a lot of investment recently in our education centres. Um, so we do have some really, really good spaces that people can use um, and book to deliver hands-on training. So, um, yeah, I think that's just another kind of key consideration as well is is where are you going to put them if you're going to do hands-on training and and what software and hardware are they going to use once they're there as well. Thanks, Beth. Um, Laura, does that kind of answer your question? Is there anything else that you kind of want to add to that? Yeah, no, no. Yeah, uh, mixed method, uh, blended, um, still the key. Um, yeah, I just wonder what impact that has to the existing training team have you have you invested more in your training team because it's different skill as well the year learning could be a bit more technical or um it takes quite a lot of time but then also your classroom obviously you've got to have that certification you've got to be that qualified um, with that qualification so i just yeah um i suppose it's just what's the impact on the team's 
um has there been any i think i think for us we we've seen a lot of investment in our in our training team particularly our it training team um and i think also upskilling with them um is is kind of one of those main things that's why we lean really heavily on those train the trainer days um so we we really put a lot of effort into upskilling that team but i do think as well it's it's just upskilling everyone in general you know having those and and putting that in place and making that obvious to people you know so if we have someone that's that's had a trainer train the day and they're a bit of an expert on this again utilizing the digital champions network we kind of we definitely have a wider range of knowledge in a lot of different places now i think whereas you know historically it would have been yeah let's go to that training team now it might be oh actually it's this person that sits in it that does this or it's this person that sits um you know in the cancer services team um they kind of have that ownership of that knowledge perfect john was there something else you wanted to add then no i was just going to say i agree with beth yeah certainly that investment in um in the training team is is been really key for us um i was also going to say also might depend on how engaged the actual end user is and it uh, and managers and uh, excuse me that are part of the project so yes the staff have been told well, there's one thing telling them and there's another thing them being actually engaged and enthusiastic and wanting to do it um, and we found that where we've we've thought oh just some an e-learning, pa- e-learning package will be fine then because they're not just they're not that interested in it and can't really can't really see the benefits they've kind of had a half conversation or been told once or seen a poster about it they're not really on board um so then the e-learning training is just taken so long because they're just not that interested or don't find the time to do it so that's where then you need your more your face-to-face um than whether it's a project that's kind of done to them or with them um obviously makes a big big difference um when you when it's the people on the kind of ground the ground that are actually doing the training and gonna be doing it on the day um so yes i think it's it's really knowing knowing the audience and how just get, constantly getting that feedback really as to how the staff are actually feeling about what you're doing and what you're going to be implementing that might affect the type of training that you want to do. Um, thanks, Joanna. Is there anything else anyone wants to add before we finish off? Good. Fab? Yeah. Well, thank you so much, everyone. Thank you, everyone, for getting involved. I've really enjoyed it. I hope I hope you've all enjoyed it too. And hopefully all of our listeners enjoy the insights and challenges that we've shared today. So, yeah, just massive thank you.